Before I begin, I want to plug Shiloh Center a little bit. Um, I heard a statistic the other day that really got to me. You know, if you destroy a sea turtle's eggs or a sea turtle, it's a $100,000 fine. Bald eagle, $150,000 fine. Or 250, it was a lot. A human baby? Oh, we don't care about those. That's the culture that we live in. You have an opportunity with the Shiloh Center and with a lot of other organizations to fight against culture, and I would pray that you take that opportunity. Darla called the other night and wondered what I was preaching on so she could figure out some songs. And the only thing I had were two words, fear and trust. Think back in the last 30 or 60 days in your own life, what kinds of things brought you fear? Situations, people, whether it was instant, something that just happened and you were, or something that you thought was going to happen, dread, and then what is it that we trust in? So I went to. Merriam-Webster, which there's probably a generation don't even know what that means, it's called a dictionary, <laughs> to find out what fear is. Dread, fright, alarm, panic, terror, painful agitation in the presence or anticipation of danger. You might be laying on a table preparing to go into surgery. You might be doing a whole lot of things. You might have just bought a piece of equipment and wonder, what did I just do? I have no idea how to run this. I have no idea how to make this work. Fear can also be a profound reverence or awe toward God. So there's different uh, definitions. So I was trying to think of stories in the Bible, true stories in the Bible, that talk about fear and trust. And, of course, my mind went to Moses and Joshua when Moses was about to die and he was giving Joshua the, the nod as God was saying, it's time for you to turn over leadership. And we all know that verse, be strong and courageous, that Moses told to Joshua. But I ended up in Esther. And sometimes speakers tend to say, we all know that story. Well, in case we don't all know that story, 
We're going to read a lot of it. And I'm sorry to say I found something in here that I've never, ever seen before. So if you want to turn to Esther, most of my scripture is going to be coming from Esther. And the backdrop is that the king, Ashwaras, uh, was a mighty king. He had 127 provinces and all kinds of officials and servants, as you can imagine. And he decides to throw a party. Okay, so Gage and Lane had a party yesterday. It lasted for four hours. This party lasted for 180 days. Have you ever been to a party that lasted that long? So after the king has been drinking wine about so long, he wants to see the queen. And he sends his queen handlers, the eunuchs, and to bring her out. And she's smart enough to know that this is not going to end well. I don't want to be the the wife of the party. I don't want to do what this king has asked me to do. And she refuses. Now, we do not live in that kind of a society. And ladies, if you tell your husband, no, I'm not doing that, You will most likely still be married to him tomorrow, but not so in this case. Because the king says, okay, you're out. You are no longer my queen, which is surprising that he didn't actually have her killed as well. So... We're going to pick up in chapter 2, and now the king's officials are saying, okay, we're going to make the king happy, and here's how we're going to do it. We're going to bring in all the beautiful virgins from his land, and we're going to get them ready for him to see, and then he can choose a new king or a new queen. And it says, after these things, that means after... He had finally gotten over his anger of his queen doing what or not doing what he wanted. Um, They said to him in verse two, let beautiful young virgins be sought out for the king and let the king appoint officers in all the provinces of his kingdom to gather all the beautiful young virgins under custody of Haggai, the king's unit, who is in charge of the women. Okay, then. They were given six months of all kinds of treatments to make them even more beautiful than what they had been before. And in verse 7, it says, uh, he's talking about Mordecai. That's the first time he is mentioned here. Mordecai was raising a, a niece. It would not have been his own daughter. It was a niece. And he told her that she ought to be part of this group. Verse 7, he was bringing up Hadassah, 
We don't know her as that. That is Esther, the daughter of his uncle, for she had neither father nor mother. The young woman had a beautiful figure and was lovely to look at. And when her father and mother died, Mordecai took her as his own daughter. So when the king's order and his edict were proclaimed and when many young women were gathered in Susa, the citadel, in custody of Haggai, Esther also was taken into the king's palace and put in custody of Haggai, who was in charge of the women. Now, they go through this process of becoming more beautiful than before. And then in verse 15, when, uh, 15. when the turn came for Esther, the daughter of Abihail, the uncle of Mordecai, who had taken her as his own daughter to go into the king, she asked for nothing except what the king's eunuch, who had charge of the women, advised. Esther was winning favor in the eyes of all who saw her, and when Esther was taken into the king, into his royal palace in the tenth month, which is the month of Tebra, in the seventh year of his reign, the king loved Esther more than all the other women, and she won grace and favor in his sight more than all the other virgins. So he set the royal crown on her head and made her queen instead of Vashti. Then the king gave a great feast for all of his officials and servants, and it was Esther's feast. He also granted a remission of taxes to the province and gave gifts with royal generosity. Now, you may be wondering what this got to do with fear. Well, hold on. It's coming. And so after she's queen, Mordecai is around the the palace where she is. And he is sitting at the king's gate, and in the next section of Scripture, he hears of a plot to take, care, take the king out. He tells that plot to Esther. Esther tells the plot to the king. The king figures out it's true, and he gets rid of these two guys. <coughs> and in chapter 3 now, he puts Haman... In charge in place of the the guys that he had killed. Now I always wondered why Haman was so against the Jews. And this is the part that I never had seen before. Haman, it says in verse one, was the Agagite, the son of I can't even pronounce that name, and advanced him and set him on his throne above all the officials that were with him. He was an Agagite. That would be like saying he's a Heeper or he's a Yoder or a Rushley. He's from that clan. He's that tribe. He was an Agagite. Well, let's go back to 1 Samuel to find out what is bugging Haman so bad. First Samuel 15, and in this uh, chapter, God is telling Saul to go and take care of the Agagites and to take their king and to get rid of everything. Kill everybody and everything. It don't matter whether it's the best, whether it's the one with no ears and no tail and that didn't make it through the storm, the ugliest, the best, it don't matter. 
Destroy them all. But we go down to verse 9, and it says, But Saul and the people spared Agag, that's the king, and the best of the sheep and the auction, and of the fattened calves and lambs, and all that was good. (coughs) And then it goes on to say, All that was despised and worthless they devoted to destruction. So then God's talking to Samuel here, and he says, I have, I regret, this is in verse 10, I regret that I made King Saul king, for he has turned back from following me, and he has not performed my commandments. And Samuel was angry, and he cried to the Lord all night. And Samuel rose early to meet Saul in the morning, and it was told to Samuel. Saul came to Carmel, and he, behold, he set up a monument for himself, and turned and passed on and went to Gilgal. And Samuel came to Saul, and Saul said to him, Blessed be you to the Lord. I have performed the commandment of the Lord. And Samuel said, What then is this bleeding of the sheep in my ears, and the lowing of the oxen that I hear? Saul says, They have brought them from the Amalekites, for the people spared the best of the sheep and oxen to sacrifice to the Lord your God. And the rest we have devoted to destruction. Samuel said to Saul, stop. I will tell you what the Lord said to me this night. And he said to him, speak. (coughs) And Samuel said, though you are little in your own eyes, are you not the head of the tribe of Israel? The Lord anointed you king over Israel. And the Lord sent you on a mission and said, go Devote to destruction the sinners, the Amalekites, and fight against them until they are consumed. Why then did you not obey the voice of the Lord? Why did you pounce on the spoil and do what is evil in the sight of the Lord? And Saul said to Samuel, I have obeyed the voice of the Lord. I have gone on the mission on which the Lord sent me. I have brought Agag, the king of the Amalek, and I have devoted the Amalekites to destruction. But the people, see this, it's not Saul, but the people took the spoil. Sheep and oxen, the best of things devoted to destruction, to sacrifice to the Lord your God in Gilgal. And Samuel said, has the Lord as great delight in burnt offerings and sacrifices as in obeying the voice of the Lord. Behold, to obey is better than sacrifice and to listen than the fat of rams. For rebellion is as the sin of divination, and presumption is as iniquity and adultery. Because you have rejected the word of the Lord, he has rejected you from being king. And then Saul repents. But the story is not over. Because Samuel says in verse 32... Bring here to me Agag, the king of the Amalites. And Agag came to him cheerfully. Agag said, Surely the bitterness of death is past. And Samuel said, (coughs) As your sword has made women childless, so shall your mother be childless among women. And Samuel hacked Agag to pieces before the Lord in Gilgal. Okay, now, do you see the connection? Haman is from that tribe. He is still mad about what Samuel did to his king. And so here we are, back in Esther now. 
And Haman is going to try to do anything he can do to destroy the Jews. And up to this point, Mordecai told Esther, don't tell anybody that you are a Jewess. Do not tell anybody. But after Haman is promoted, then we begin to see what is going to happen because he struts around and wants everybody to bow down to him and treat him like he's somebody. And Mordecai will not. He stands there and he will not bow down. He says, he tells him, I am a Jew. I will not bow to this guy no matter what. And so... Haman comes up with a plot. In chapter 3, if you're following along, um, verse 8, Haman said to the king, There is a certain people scattered abroad and dispersed among the peoples in all the provinces of your kingdom. Well, of course they were, because the king had brought all these people from their country. Of course they were dispersed. They were taken everywhere. That's what they were supposed to be. That's how it had happened. And their laws are different from those of every other people, and they do not keep the king's laws. So it is not the king, up to the king's profit, to tolerate them. If it please the king, let it be decreed that they be destroyed, and I will pay 10,000 talents of silver. Now, I saw on the Internet somewhere what that amounted to, and I don't remember the figure, but it was a huge amount of money that Haman was going to give the king to destroy this whole race. And uh, says... 10,000 talents of silver into the hands of those who have charge of the king's business, and they may put it into the king's treasury. So the king took his signet ring from his hand and gave it to Haman, the Agagite, the son of whatever that is, the enemy of the Jews. And the king said to Haman, The money is given to you, the people also, to do with them as it seems good to you. Then the king's scribes were summoned, and they come up with this, Edict, signed it, sealed it, and sent it out to every province and every country that was under this king. And this edict said that in 11 months, you're going to have the opportunity to kill every Jew that you know. Fair and square. No no questions asked. And, of course... Chapter 4, then, is where Mordecai hears about what is going on. Hears about this being sent out. And chapter 4, verse 1 says, When Mordecai learned all that had been done, he tore his clothes, put on sackcloth and ashes, and went out into the midst of the city. And he cried out with a loud and bitter cry. He went up to the entrance of the king's gate, for no one was allowed to enter the king's gate clothed in sackcloth. And every province, wherever the king's command and his decree reached, there was given great mourning among the Jews, with fasting and weeping and lamenting, and many of them lay in sackcloth and ashes. Esther's young women and her 
eunuchs came and told her the queen was deeply distressed. She sent garments to clothe Mordecai so that he might take off his sackcloth, but he would not accept them. Then Esther called for Hatcha, one of the king's eunuchs who had been appointed to attend her, and ordered him to go to Mordecai to learn that what this was and why it was. He went out to Mordecai in the open square of the city in front of the king's gate, and Mordecai told him all that had happened to him and the exact sum of money that Haman had promised to pay into the treasury for the destruction of the Jews. We're going to skip down to verse 11. All the king's servants and the people of the king's provinces know that if any man or woman goes to the king inside the inner court without being called, there is but one law to be put to death, except for the one to whom the king holds out the golden scepter so that he might live. But as for me, I have not been called to come into the king in the last 30 days. Hey, Haman, or Mordecai is telling Esther, you've got to go into the king and tell him what's going on. And she's, she is afraid. She has fear. Because this is what happens if you go into the king and he does not accept you, your, your life is over. Up to this point, he does not know that she is a Jew. But it is up to her to provide some way of escape for all these people in her country to escape death. So then we go on to chapter 5. And Esther is preparing a banquet. Uh, And then we see in chapter 5 that Haman plans to hang Mordecai. He has a thing built out in the gallows, built out in the front of the king's palace, and we're going to get rid of this guy. But chapter 6 is kind of a pivotal chapter. On that night, the king could not sleep, and he gave orders to bring the book of memorial deeds, the chronicles, and they were read before the king, and it was found written how Mordecai had told about these two of the king's units who guarded the threshold and who had sought to lay hands on the king. And the king said, What honor or distinction has been bestowed on Mordecai for this? And the king's young man who attended him said, Nothing's been done for him. And the king said, Who is in the court? Haman had just entered the outer court of the king's palace to speak to the king about having Mordecai hanged on the gallows that he had prepared. And the king's young men told him, Haman is here, standing in the court. And the king said, Let him come in. So Haman came in. Now you can imagine what Haman's thinking. All right, this is my chance. I get a, a, to see the king and... But that's not how this goes. Haman came in, and the king said to him, What should be done for the man whom the king delights to honor? And Haman said to himself, Well, whom should the king delight to honor more than me? And Haman said to the king, For the man whom the king delights to honor? Why, let royal robes be brought, which the king has worn, and the horse for the king has ridden, and on those whose head a royal crown is set. 
and let the robe and the horse be handed over to one of the king's most noble officials. Let them dress the man whom the king delights to honor, and let them lead him on a horse to the square of the city, proclaiming before him this, Thus shall it be done to the man whom the king delights to honor. Then the king said to Haman, Hurry, take the robe and the horse, as you have said, and do so to Mordecai. (laughs) Wow. That was a bad night for Haman. Do so, and whoever sits on the king's gate... Leave out nothing that you have mentioned. So Haman took the robes and the horse, and he dressed Mordecai and led him through the square of the city, proclaiming before him, Thus shall it be done to the man whom the king delights to honor. Then Mordecai returned to the king's gate, but Haman hurried to his house, mourning, with his head covered. And Haman told his wife, Zeresh, and all his friends everything that had happened to him. Then his wise men and his wife said to him, now listen to this. These people, were they they knew something that Haman wasn't picking up. If Mordecai, before whom you have begun to fall, is of the Jewish people, you will not overcome him, but will surely fall before him. That's quite a... That's quite a statement from somebody outside. And while they were yet talking with him, the king's eunuchs arrived and hurried to bring Haman to the feast that Esther had prepared. So now Esther has his feast for the king and for Haman. And the king can't figure out what's going on. Why are we having this feast? And finally, he says... Uh, to the to the queen. Uh, what is your wish, Queen Esther? This is in verse two of chapter seven. It shall be granted to you. And what is your request? Even to half of my kingdom, it shall be fulfilled. Then Queen Esther answered, "If I have found favor in your sight, O king, <coughs> and if it please the king, let my life be granted me." Granted me for my wish and my people for my request, for we have been sold, I and my people, to be destroyed, to be killed, to be annihilated. If we had been sold merely as slaves, men and women, I would have been silent, for our affliction is not to be compared with the loss to the king. Then the king said to Queen Esther, Who is he and where is he? Who has dared to do this? And Esther said, A foe and an enemy, this wicked Haman. A banquet for three, the king, the queen, and Haman. Can you imagine? (laughs) Now who's afraid? Now who's fear working down there? Verse 7 of chapter 7. And the king arose in his wrath from the wine drinking and went into the palace garden. But Haman stayed to beg for his life from Queen Esther, For he saw that harm was determined against him by the king. And the king returned from the palace garden to the place where they were drinking wine. As Haman was falling on the couch where Esther was. And the king said, will you even assault my queen in my presence in my own house? As the word left the mouth of the king, they covered Haman's face. Then Harbona, one of the eunuchs and attendants on the king, said, moreover, 
the gallows that Haman has prepared for Mordecai, whose word saved the king, is standing in Haman's house, 50 cubits high. And the king said, hang him on that. So they hanged Haman on the gallows that he had prepared for Mordecai. Then the wrath of the king abated. Now, is that a story of fear and trust? Esther was trusting her uncle, Mordecai. The same can be said of us trusting our Lord Jesus. And he will provide for us. He is promised to do that. And when we are in the midst of all the stuff that happens in a week, if we compiled all the stuff that happened in this group in a week, it would be quite a story. But he has promised to be there with us, to make a way for us, as in the case of Esther. And I want to end with 12 verses from Proverbs. Begins with trust in the Lord. And I could write the first two or three verses without looking at it, but I'm not going to try to recite, recite it all. Proverbs 3, that's not right. Here, here, Proverbs 3, 5 is where we want to start. Trust in the Lord with all all your heart and do not lean on your own understanding. In all your ways acknowledge him and he will make your path straight. Be not wise in your own eyes. Fear the Lord and turn away from evil. It will be healing to your flesh and refreshment to your bones. Honor the Lord with your wealth and with the first fruits of all your produce. Then your barns will be filled with plenty and your vats will be bursting with wine. My son, do not despise the Lord's discipline or be weary of his reproof, for the Lord reproves him whom he loves as a father, the son in whom he delights. Let's pray. Father, we thank you for this account that's been written down and helps us to understand uh, how when we are disobedient, it affects other people down the line. And when we do what is right, that you will care for us and reward us not necessarily in ways that everybody can see, but we have that peace from the fear and that we have the ability to trust you every step, every day that we walk. Pray that you'd go with this congregation as they go out into the community this week and that you would help them to be a light to this culture around us. In Jesus' name I pray. Amen. Thank you.